Hello there, Pigskins fans, and welcome to the Week 14 edition of the Stat Pack. I'm your host, Adam Dobrovolsky, and while I apologize, no Stat Pack last week, a little bit of an emergency to tend to, but everything back to normal. We're back in full swing of things, taking a look at six interesting headlines, news notes, and other things involved in the week that was in the NFL. Also, we'll take a look at my top six teams through the first 14 weeks of the season, as well as a detailed look at the six top matchups for week 15. This might be the best week coming up in the NFL so far this season. There's probably, I'd say, at least eight, if not nine, maybe ten games that will be very interesting, I at least I think, uh, and will be some great football that can have important ramifications on the postseason. So we'll talk about all that stuff here in this edition. No six-pack of statistical regression. We'll get back to that next week because we have a lot to talk about. There's some interesting topics I'd like to really go over in detail, and we'll start things off with the Houston Texans being blown out on Monday Night Football. And on our first of the six-pack of statistical headlines and other news and notes from Week 14 involves those Houston Texans losing 42-14 to the New England Patriots. And how about this? A big sign of trouble with this blowout loss for the Houston Texans. This loss to the Patriots might cost them a Super Bowl championship. Now, I know you're asking, what do you mean? It's only one game. I know, a very bad game, 42-14, but it's only one game. This can't be what deters them from winning a Super Bowl, right? Well, how about this? I'm going to look back here to the previous Super Bowl winners. And of the first 46 Super Bowl victors, you take a look at the list of the teams that lost the game by 17 points or more. There's been 18 teams, 28 teams that won the Super Bowl did not lose a game by 17 points or more. 18 of them did. However, only two teams have lost games by 18 points or more multiple times like these 2012 Houston Texans did. Remember, they lost back in Week 6 at home to the Green Bay Packers 42-24. But the only two teams that have done this, the 1979 Pittsburgh Steelers, who went 12-4, losing to the Cincinnati Bengals 34-10 and losing to the San Diego Chargers 35-7. The other team, the 2007 New York Giants, that of the 10-6 variety, they lost in Week 2, 35-13 to the Green Bay Packers before losing later on in the season at home to a fellow NFC North team in the Minnesota Vikings 41-17. What exactly does this mean? teams getting blown out, well, usually that's not a sign of a dominant team. Luckily for the Houston Texans, they're still in the top three in the quality stats power rankings, and I think right now the way you look at what the Texans have done, those two losses may be the exception, but it is something to look at. You have to think about this. Those two teams losing multiple games by 18 points, only two other teams lost multiple games by 17 points or more. That was the 1970 Baltimore Colts, who went 11-2-1, and the 1988 San Francisco 49ers, who went 10-6. You're looking right now at a team that has two losses, and both of their losses have been by the blowout variety. 
Perhaps the best they have to look forward to is the 1970 Baltimore Colts, a team that won in the final seconds on a field goal by Jim O'Brien in Super Bowl V over the Dallas Cowboys. That might be the best shot here for the Houston Texans. Or perhaps like the 1979 Pittsburgh Steelers who defeated a 9-7 Rams team by having two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. That might be the best shot for the Houston Texans. However, what I think this does point out to is you look at these two losses, allowing 42 points in each of these games. This is a team that is struggling to stop the best offenses, the high-powered offenses, the fast-paced offenses, the offenses that can spread you out. If the Houston Texans face the New England Patriots again, they're going to need to slow that game down the way... The New York teams have done in the postseason. That's the New York Giants in 2007 and 2011, as well as the 2010 New York Jets. If the Houston Texans can't find a way to slow the game down, they will lose to the New England Patriots if they have a rematch in the postseason. Meanwhile, I think you look at a potential rematch of the Denver Broncos facing the Houston Texans, a quarterback like Peyton Manning who's really hitting his stride as of late. I think that shows you another problem for the Houston Texans. If they find a way to make it to the AFC Championship game and face the Denver Broncos, or if somehow the Texans lose another game and the Patriots hop them over and take the top seed, then maybe it's a divisional round matchup against the Broncos. But you look at it, the way the Broncos are balanced offensively and defensively, this is another team that can take down the Houston Texans rather easily. I do think this was an alarming loss, and I think this might be a loss that shakes the foundation of the Houston Texans. They need to find a way to stop these high-powered offenses. And by the way, in these big game situations, they need to find a way to do better offensively. Arian Foster is not running efficiently right now. And Gary Kubiak, quite frankly, isn't doing a good job of mixing Foster up with the backup running backs in Ben Tate and Justin Forsett. He needs to do a better job of that. needs to do a better job of mixing around the runs because it looked like the Patriots were tuned into those stretch runs. And oh yeah, how about some better third down conversions against these teams that they need to score against? They had the problem against the Patriots on Monday night where there was just some plays that were left on the field that could have kept drives going. Could have got the Texans points and could have at least had them in the game deep into the ballgame, third or fourth quarter. Instead, they're down 20-0 midway through the third quarter, and they lose 42-14. It's not a good sign for this Texans team. Right now, the big game seems to really shine a little bit too bright of a light on the Houston Texans. And at this point right now, unless I see something better in the final three weeks, I think that might knock them off the Super Bowl perch I've had them on throughout the season. Second on our six-pack of headlines and stories, it involves the individual awards races. MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year. All of these races are very interesting And all of these races are very stacked to the point where I think some players who aren't even in the running could arguably win their award in another season. Let's start things off 
with the MVP slash Offensive Player of the Year slash Comeback Player of the Year races because they're all intertwined between Peyton Manning and Adrian Peterson. Peyton Manning, I mean, the Denver Broncos, a team that couldn't pass for their lives last year, somehow have one of the top three most dangerous pass offenses, and right now they're the best team in the National Football League in a serious Super Bowl contender. For that reason, you have to consider Peyton Manning for the MVP. Considering the way they are in the top three in offensive passer rating, I think you have to consider Peyton Manning for the Offensive Player of the Year. Considering that last year, Peyton Manning had nerve damage in his neck and was risking paralysis so he didn't play, and this year he's at an MVP level, I think you have to consider him for Comeback Player of the Year. Meanwhile, you look at Adrian Peterson, who's averaging six yards per attempt, has over 1,600 yards, and has over 10 touchdowns. And at this point, he'd be only the third back in NFL history to do it, along with Jim Brown and O.J. Simpson, arguably the two greatest runners in NFL history. You're looking at an MVP slash Offensive Player of the Year slash Comeback Player of the Year worthy season. Why Comeback Player of the Year? Well, obviously... He had what was a career-threatening knee injury in Week 16 last season. So you look at all this, and those two are fighting for those three awards. But there's some other things to consider. The MVP race. Once again, the New England Patriots are arguably the top team in the National Football League because of Tom Brady. He has to be up there in the MVP race. And you look at the New England Patriots, they're one of five teams with an offensive passer rating in the triple digits. So he needs to be in the MVP race because even though New England's defense is starting to pick things up, they've had some games where they barely squeaked by and it's pretty much due to Tom Brady and just commanding that offense. Meanwhile, for Offensive Player of the Year, you kind of have to consider Calvin Johnson. Now, I understand he's a wide receiver and more or less a shiny hood ornament when it comes down to winning football games. But if you look at just the sheer outstanding play and not look at value, which we want to consider for Offensive Player of the Year, you have to include Calvin Johnson. He's chasing down Jerry Rice's single-season record for receiving yards. And Right now, game in and game out, he's a threat. He's moving the offense, and he's the only reason right now why the Detroit Lions are competitive in football games. And they've they've had their chances. They weren't able to close a game against the Houston Texans. They weren't able to close a game against the Indianapolis Colts. They weren't able to close a game against the Green Bay Packers. Calvin Johnson would have a lot more steam if the quarterback, Matthew Stafford, and the defense could close these games. Is it Calvin Johnson's fault that the Lions allow a last-second touchdown to Donnie Avery? Not really. Is it Calvin Johnson's fault that Jason Hansen misses a field goal in overtime on Thanksgiving or Brandon Pettigrew fumbles a football in overtime on Thanksgiving? No, it's not his fault. Is it Calvin Johnson's fault that when the Lions are up 14-0, They allow a field goal, then allow a defensive touchdown because Matthew Stafford can't hold on to the football. No, again, not Calvin Johnson's fault. He's not a valuable player, but he's an outstanding player and should be in the race. 
Meanwhile, I want to look at Defensive Player of the Year. J.J. Watt, some think, deserved to run away with it. But then you have to consider someone like Geno Atkins and what he's doing as a defensive tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals right now, top 10 defensive hogs pretty much due to Geno Atkins and his pressure up the middle. He's done a great job also stopping the run. And he's a disruptive force not seen in the last half decade on the inside. He was last seen Sunday owning Nate Livings and the rest of that interior line for the Dallas Cowboys, and he was all over the place. I haven't seen a bad game from him yet this season, and he might have had one of the best performances by defensive lineman going up against a Tony Romo-run Dallas Cowboys offense. Of course, there's also Von Miller, who's one sack away from the franchise record for the Denver Broncos, and he has 16 sacks and leading arguably the best defensive hogs in the National Football League. And finally, how about this not even really being talked about all that much? Alden Smith, 19 and a half sacks now with three games left. He just needs a sack in each of his last three games, and he'll tie the record for Michael Strahan for most sacks. Considering that the 49ers still have a game left against the Arizona Cardinals. He might be a shoo-in at this point, and he's not even really in legitimate discussion. And he might be breaking a sack record, which is unbelievable to think. That's exactly how good this season has been. Meanwhile, comeback player of the year, there is one player I will mention later who in most other seasons would win the award, but isn't even in the Peyton Peterson conversation. Finally, Coach of the Year, Bruce Arians, the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, I think deserves it. But is he even going to be in the running because he's an interim head coach? I think he deserves it, but you can also throw out guys like Pete Carroll, leading the Seahawks now to becoming a Super Bowl contender. John Fox, and the way he's immediately gotten Peyton Manning running that offense. San Francisco with Jim Harbaugh, somehow, someway, keeping that team to win despite the quarterback controversy. And oh yeah, how about Bill Belichick? Ho-hum, ho-hum, another divisional championship for the New England Patriots, but they are right now arguably the best team in the National Football League. As for the rookies of the year, offensively, Andrew Luck getting a lot of praise from the mainstream media, but we here at Cold Hearted Football Facts like to remind you that RG3 and Russell Wilson are having much better seasons. It's unbelievable to think, but Luck, who rather easily, I think, other seasons would be deserving of the Offensive Rookie of the Year, doesn't even deserve to be in the conversation this year based on what the other rookie QBs are doing. As for the Defensive Rookie of the Year, there's been a trio of fantastic linebackers. Luke Keekley, Bobby Wagner, and Levante David. All these races will be interesting, and I think that alone will make the final three weeks interesting. However, as we look at the third of our six-pack of headlines, there's a lot more to look forward to in the final three weeks. Now third on our six-pack of headlines and other notes, stats, and much more, we look at the NFC races, and I think this is a toss-up to determining whether the last three weeks of the season will be an absolute flop or some of the most entertaining football we've seen in recent seasons. Just look at the variability of what may happen in the NFC. 
The Seattle Seahawks, right now, 8-5, and five, a team that is only 2-5 and five on the road, but third in the quality stats power rankings. There's a possibility, a legitimate possibility, they could be the two seed. Then again, there's a legitimate possibility they could miss the playoffs altogether. Think about some of these key games. On Sunday, Green Bay at Chicago. Sunday night, San Francisco at New England. Sunday afternoon, Giants at Falcons. Then you have, in Week 16, San Francisco at Seattle and New York at Baltimore. Those five games right there, if the home team wins all five games, the Chicago Bears could finish 11-5. and five. The Seahawks could finish 11-5. and five. They would be ahead of Chicago. Green Bay could also be 11 and 5. Seattle would be ahead of Green Bay. The Giants would be 10 and 6. Obviously, Seattle a game ahead of them. And San Francisco would be 10, 5 and 1, which means Seattle would win the NFC West and would have the, t- the second seed in the NFC playoffs. And if that happens, that might be the worst thing possible for the rest of the NFC because Atlanta. The top seed is very vulnerable. Again, Matt Ryan does not yet have a playoff victory. And the Atlanta Falcons, with an 0-3 record for Matt Ryan, has the distinction of no team in NFL history winning a Super Bowl with their starting quarterback entering the playoffs with a winless record and at least three starts. So it's not looking very good for the Falcons to make a run quite this season. The Seahawks could play the spoiler and move their way into the Super Bowl and represent the NFC. And that is something you should check out, by the way, on coldhardfootballfacts.com. Check it out on uh, the fellow podcasts as well as they break down the amazing play of the Seattle Seahawks as of late. However... On the flip side, they could miss the playoffs. Again, they're only 2-5 and five on the road, and they travel to Buffalo on Sunday. Then they can easily lose a game against the 49ers. Those two teams are fantastic. And, oh, by the way, the 49ers second in the quality stats power rankings. There's a possibility the Seahawks lose both of those games and finish 9-7. and seven. You look at the rest of the competition, and you have... The Washington Redskins, 7-6, could become NFC East champions. Three winnable games at Cleveland, at Philadelphia, against Dallas. Chicago, yes, they could miss the playoffs because they face Green Bay, obviously a great team, then go at Arizona, who's second in defensive pass rating, and then at Detroit, a team that's been playing some of the top teams very tough as of late, like Houston and Green Bay. There's a possibility Chicago goes 9-7 and or 8-8. Eight and eight. Or they could win the division because Green Bay still has to go to Minnesota later on in the season. So th- this right now leaves a possibility of anything happening for a team like Seattle, a team like Washington or Chicago who could somehow win the division or somehow miss the playoffs. You have a team like the St. Louis Rams who are sneaking up the chicken coop and are right now top five in defensive pass rating. They host a Minnesota team that cannot pass the ball on Sunday. 
then go to Tampa Bay, a team that is reeling, then go to Seattle and face a rookie quarterback, they somehow could sneak in or they could altogether lose out and be 6-9-1. There's a lot of possibilities in this NFC race for the final three weeks, and I'm not just saying that to get you guys all excited for the final three weeks. I truly believe most of the games in the NFC can go any which way, and that leaves the playoff races wide open And this week 15 could really heat up the NFC playoff races. Some exciting football to come up. Number four on our six-pack of statistical headlines, news, and notes involves the Minnesota Vikings and maybe needing a quarterback change. I know this is crazy. I mean, Christian Ponder in his second year as a starter. Who's going to replace him? Joe Webb? Yeah, that's right. I'm being serious here. Uh, This is what I think should happen. The Minnesota Vikings should consider putting Joe Webb in Sunday's game against the St. Louis Rams. Think about what Christian Ponder has done as of late. Not only does this season Adrian Peterson have more rushing yards per attempt than Christian Ponder has passing yards per attempt. But in the last seven games, Christian Ponder, 107 completions and 191 attempts for 962 yards, which is 5.04 yards per attempt. And oh yeah, six touchdowns, eight interceptions, which is good for only a 62.77 offensive passer rating. In only one game does Christian Ponder have an offensive pass rating greater than 75. And you compare that to five games where he's had less than a 60 offensive pass rating and three games where he's had less than a 42 offensive pass rating. Bottom line, against a top five pass defense in the St. Louis Rams, Christian Ponder does not project well whatsoever. And this puts the Vikings in serious danger of losing a football game That could keep them in the playoff hunt. As for Joe Webb, well, his career isn't exactly known for great passing games, but he has done well off the bench. You go back to what he did last season in a near comeback against the Detroit Lions, and the Vikings lost 27-21. He had over 100 passer rating. He had another game with over 100 passer rating last year. Did a good job in relief in a game where he had two touchdown passes and five attempts. But also think about this. Joe Webb is a threat to run. Don't forget real quarterback rating, how it factors in the run game for quarterbacks. He could be a dual threat through the air and through the ground, and he might do enough to throw off that St. Louis Rams pass defense in a situation where he needs to come in on a quick fix. I think right now the Minnesota Vikings need to think about the playoffs. And yes, if you have Joe Webb in relief of Christian Ponder and the Vikings win, you start Christian Ponder the next week. You don't start a quarterback controversy, but at the same time, you can't die hard with a quarterback that right now, quite simply, isn't getting the job done. So maybe the first and only time I ever say this on the stat pack, let's begin the Joe Webb Chance. Number five on my statistical pack of headlines here, a six pack of my headlines and statements, news and notes. This one 
involves RG3 and a reminder that, okay, while RG3 might be putting together one of the best rookie seasons of all time, he still isn't the best rookie quarterback in football history. Now, no, I said football history. I think RG3 already has a distinction as the best rookie quarterback in NFL history. Just look at what he's done so far this season. 233 completions and 351 attempts for 2,906 yards, 18 interceptions and only or 18 touchdowns and only 4 interceptions. His interception rate, ridiculous, 1.14. The league average, 2.70. He leads the league with 8.28 yards per attempt. The league average, 6.65. Meanwhile, he's a league best in offensive passer rating, 104.24. Barely ahead of Tom Brady's 104.21. The rest of the league... An 83.6 offensive pass rating. And of course, he's been a dangerous running threat, which obviously boosts his real quarterback rating. I think that's the best rookie season in NFL history. However, we're going to go back to the AFL quickly here and talk about a man who passed away this past January in Greg Cook in his 1969 season with the Cincinnati Bengals. 106 completions and 197 attempts for 1,854 yards, 15 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. By AFL standards, the AFL pass rating, he had an 81.91 offensive pass rating. The rest of the league, 56.21. That's 25 points better than the rest of the league. RG3 around 21. So you look at how much better Gray Cook has been relative to his league as a rookie. Meanwhile, even better, 9.41 yards per attempt as a rookie. The rest of the league, 6.07. More than three yards better. In fact, he's more than 50% better than the average quarterback in the AFL that season. And finally, he had a touchdown rate of 7.61. The league average was 4.67. And that is even better than what most quarterbacks are doing today in terms of touchdown percentages. So Greg Cook, just statistically alone, the best quarterback as a rookie in NFL and AFL history combined. And oh, by the way, Greg Cook did this despite tearing his rotator cuff week three of the season. So despite having a torn rotator cuff back in the 60s when they didn't even know really that existed, he was still able to dominate statistically unlike any rookie quarterback in football history. So RG3, I present this challenge to you. You have one guy left, one guy. Find a way, if you can play on Sunday, in the next two games to dominate and you may have the best rookie season ever in football history. And finally, while we're talking some all-time greats here, let's consider a running back right now in the league who might become an all-time great. Now, I know what everyone's thinking, of course, right? Adrian Peterson. 
He's a third running back. And granted, three games left, but third running back, 1,600-plus rushing yards, double-digit rushing touchdowns, and averaging over six yards per rushing attempt. Okay, yes, Adrian Peterson, for that reason, finding a way to work in the history books. What he's done since 2007 as a rookie is pretty much unprecedented. However, he's not the guy I'm talking about. The guy I'm talking about is the turbo lover, Jamal Charles. And I know that's kind of going to make you scratch your head. Why am I talking about a running back for a 2-11 team becoming one of the all-time greats? Well, think about this. Not only did Jamal Charles average basically 9 yards per attempt and had an 80-yard rushing touchdown from the first play of scrimmage against the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. Yes, I know the Chiefs lost 30-7. to It was relatively meaningless, but he put together a 150-plus yard game. And now this season, 240 carries, 1,220 rushing yards. Once again, he is averaging over 5 yards per attempt. And he's doing this a year after an ACL tear. So like Adrian Peterson, I know three more months for rehab, but still, like Adrian Peterson, he's right back in tip-top shape playing elite football after an injury. But consider this on a career perspective. This year, with 5.1 rushing yards per attempt, which is obviously a phenomenal season, That is his worst average in a season in terms of rushing yards per attempt. For his career, Jamal Charles, 739 carries, 4,247 yards, averaging just under 5.75 rushing yards per attempt. And again, this man's picking up steam, 100 yards in four of his last five games, averaging at least 4.5. 0.5 rushing yards per attempt in each of his last four games. But career-wise, consider this. He's 61 carries away from 800 career carries. There's only one running back in NFL history with at least 800 carries and 5.5 rushing yards attempt, rushing yards per attempt are better. And that is Marion Motley, the Hall of Fame running back from the 50s with the Cleveland Browns. He averaged about... yards per attempt. There are, in fact, only four other backs who average at least five yards or better with at least 800 carries. Jim Brown at 5.22. Mercury Morris, believe it or not, the loudmouth from 1972 Miami Dolphins. Career average, 5.14. Joe Perry, a Hall of Famer. 5.04, and Gale Sarers, just a scotch over the even five threshold. By the way, Adrian Peterson, he rounds up to five, but not exactly there. He's averaging for his career 4.998 rushing yards per attempt. So obviously, Adrian Peterson, we know he's well on to a Hall of Fame career, but Don't forget the turbo lover, Jamal Charles, right now etching together a historic rushing career. Well, that does it for a six-pack of headlines from 
week 14. Let's look ahead now to week 15. First things first, let's look at the top six teams heading into the final three weeks of the regular season. And I'm going to do a quick list here because we have a lot of matchups to talk about, and I want to spend some time on that. First things first, the New England Patriots top my list. They're the top team in my power rankings. Yes, they are fifth in the quality stats power rankings, but they're right now outscoring teams at a very rapid pace, a very dominant pace, blowing out the Houston Texans 42-14. They blew out the New York Jets 49-19. They blew out the Indianapolis Colts hanging 50 on them right now. The New England Patriots, what they're doing is unbelievable. And it reflects in the Relativity Index. Right now, the Relativity Index shows 15.57. The next best team at 10.51. That's the San Francisco 49ers. So the New England Patriots has nearly 50% advantage on the rest of the field. That in itself is unbelievable. Number two on my power rankings, the Houston Texans. They've been number one pretty much the top of my uh, list for the entire season, save for a week or two. They moved down to two here because they were blown out by the New England Patriots. And oh, by the way, they're still third in the quality stats power rankings. Or fourth, I should say. Not third, but fourth. I stand corrected on that. The Seahawks are third right now, but the Texans are fourth. Number three on my list, the top-ranked team in the quality stats power rankings, the Denver Broncos. The only reason right now why they're below the Texans, well, they lost to the Texans. And right now, they haven't exactly played the best of teams during their eight-game winning streak. They have only a 2-3 and three record against quality opponents, so I still need to see a little bit more. Number four on my, in my power rankings is a team number two in the quality stats power rankings, and that's the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers, kind of just a ho-hum game against the Miami Dolphins, saw a huge run from Colin Kaepernick in a run that he honestly could have slid at the one-yard line and sealed the game, but he got the touchdown and got the 49ers a 27-13 victory. And I still think they're a dual-threat team offensively and defensively. And you can't really nod their head at the special teams. They get the job done all around, and they're still one of the best teams in the league, in an elite team. And that should be a fantastic matchup, which we'll talk about coming up on Sunday against the Patriots. Number five in my power rankings, the Green Bay Packers. They're sixth in the quality stats power rankings. And, and they get a little bit of a lift just because... Yes, I know, 9-4, and four, but they played seven quality teams so far. They've had a very tough schedule. They've survived it. And, oh, by the way, Aaron Rodgers still has one of the best passing offenses in the league right now. And the best indicator for predicting wins right now, offensive passer rating. And finally, number six in my power rankings, the team that made all the headlines on Sunday in terms of dominance, that of the 58 to nothing Seattle Seahawks moving up to third in the quality stats power rankings, now 5-1 against quality teams. The reason why I have them number six and not higher is they have four losses to non-quality teams, and they're 2-5 and five on the road. They blew three games in the fourth quarter on the road to the Miami Dolphins, to the Detroit Lions, and to the Arizona Cardinals. You look at those three games, and 
even if they won two of those games, you'd be looking at a team right now that would be 10-3 and in the hunt for the top seed, and they would honestly, at the least, be in the top five. But right now they're six because they couldn't get those games done, and they're still just 1-3 and in the division. That's right. Sunday's blowout victory against the Cardinals was only their first win in the division. And by my standards, you need to have a good divisional record to crack that absolute cream of the crop of the list. So they are still number six. But there it is. My top six again, New England, Houston, San Diego, San Francisco, Green Bay, and Seattle. And finally, last but not least my six-pack of top matchups for Week 15. and I, I love this week right now. Finals are over. I got one paper to write as of hopefully a Thursday publication here for the Stat Pack. It's pretty much all over where I can kick back and relax and just enjoy football on a Sunday. And what better week to do this? What better week after the last few weeks with, with finals and papers and broadcasting obligations where I can just kick back and not give a crap about anything but the National Football League. And there, in my opinion, has to be, I'd say, at least eight games that I think will be not only quality games that impact the playoff picture, but intriguing games with headlines for individual players uh, that could have an impact. And probably more, to be honest. I mean, there's certainly a few meaningless games in terms of the big picture that has individual feats on the line. Jamal Charles is, again, the turbo lover and putting together a Hall of Fame-type career so far. I'd like to see if he can put together another fantastic game. And that has the Chiefs and the Raiders, two of the worst teams, and by my count, the two worst teams in the league going up against each other. You have an Arizona-Detroit game that has two four-win teams going up against each other, and Calvin Johnson in line to perhaps break Jerry Rice's single-season record for receiving yards. So you look at those things. Those things alone make it interesting to look at. But I think there's legitimately, as I look at it here, at least eight games between quality teams, if not nine games, depending on how you want to consider the Buccaneers-Saints game. There's at least eight games that have quality teams going up against each other putting together some interesting matchups and stories. But I can only do six. And I'll start things off with the Washington Redskins going up against the Cleveland Browns. Two of the hottest teams in the National Football League. And I know it didn't look like that too long ago. I mean, go back to what happened after Week 9, after the Washington Redskins lost at home to the Carolina Panthers they were 3-6. and six. Look at how the Cleveland Browns started, where they were 2-8 and eight to start before winning their last three games. But both teams have turned things around. The Redskins are respectable 13th in the quality stats power rankings and right there at the top, thanks to RG3, in offensive pass rating. And oh, by the way, the only team in the National Football League with a real quarterback rating of 100 or better. RG3 right now, arguably, 
could be the best quarterback in the league. And really, he's a fringe MVP candidate, but isn't in the discussion. In other seasons, probably could be. But just the way this season's been going, he isn't. But then Cleveland, a team that took down the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team that nearly took down the Dallas Cowboys on the road. Winners of three in a row, a dangerous team with a respectable pass defense. 75.31 in real quarterback rating on defense. 81.85 in defensive passer rating. And the defensive hog index, not bad in itself either. It's a top 10 unit. You look at Cleveland, and they're a team that might be able to upset the Washington Redskins, whether RG3 starts or not. So that starting things off. Number six, moving up to number five, the New York Giants against the Atlanta Falcons. And the team that the Giants whooped on last year, allowed only two points in the wild card victory over the Falcons. And that loss pretty much confirming Matt Ryan as one of the worst playoff quarterbacks in league history. He has to find a way to break that mold. And after the Falcons lost last week to the Panthers, exposing them as frauds, as I've been saying, they've been throughout the entirety of the season. Atlanta, for a team that is 11-2, not looking good whatsoever right now, 7th in the quality stats power rankings. They've only faced three quality teams, and they're barely beating the non-quality teams at home. Have to host a Giants team that has a pair of victories in Atlanta over Matt Ryan, who's lost only four home games in the regular season. This doesn't look good for the Falcons, and winning this game would definitely be a huge victory. Meanwhile, the Giants have played eight games against quality opponents, splitting those eight. They're eighth in the quality stats power rankings, but Eli Manning isn't exactly playing the best of football. The Giants, a mediocre 86.25 in offensive pass rating, going up against a Falcons team that has an underrated pass defense, 79.04. Two weeks ago, they got five interceptions against Drew Brees. Last week, the Giants got two. Both of those teams beat the Saints. It's a good matchup that can go either way. Moving up to number four on the six-pack, we look at the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Dallas Cowboys. And this gets a little extra weight, though I don't think it's really as quality of a matchup as the previous two games. It's got a lot of historical implications, and it has a lot of headline implications. Des Bryant, with a fractured finger, is trying to play football on Sunday. And there's a possibility, if he plays, that for the rest of his career, his finger could stiffen. Not only would that hurt the grip of him trying to catch the football in future years as a wide receiver, but that would make things a little bit tougher on his daily life if he doesn't have flexibility of one of his fingers. So there's that. There's Tony Romo having another fourth quarter comeback that's Oh, by the way, two December games, two fourth quarter comebacks. Wasn't it once upon a time that people were trashing Tony Romo for not getting the job done in December? Well, in each of the last two weeks, he's gotten the job done. And oh, by the way, the Dallas Cowboys very much motivated after the death of their teammate, Jerry Brown. After Josh Brent driving drunk, causing the accident and his ordeal and the team trying to support him. 
This is a time now for the team to really show their mettle and win games arguably they shouldn't. They shouldn't have won in Cincinnati last week. I didn't get it to get it didn't really get into this in the stat pack, but Marvin Lewis had the worst coaching job last week. He blew opportunities, calling three timeouts before the Cowboys' final drive. They were able to sit on it and wait for a field goal by Dan Bailey. The Bengals choked the game away by dropping open third down conversions and making other key mistakes. And somehow, despite Geno Atkins dominating the game, the Cowboys refusing to adjust to Geno Atkins' dominance. They couldn't get down Tony Romo enough and force enough turnovers because the defensive backs couldn't catch the football. So the Bengals should have beat the Dallas Cowboys. But the Cowboys are still alive at 7-6, and six, going up against a Pittsburgh team that got blown out at home by the Chargers. I know, it was only 34-24 the score. But at one point, it was 27-3 against a Chargers team that has blown games left and right this season. Blowing a game against... The Ravens on a 4th and 29, blowing a 24-0 lead against Denver and losing by 11. This is the Chargers, and the Steelers got blown out by them. So this doesn't look like the best of matchups in terms of quality. The Steelers are 11th in the quality stats power rankings. The Cowboys are 17th, uh, but this obviously has some history. These two teams... Interesting records against quality opponents. The Steelers are 4-2. and two. The Cowboys are 2-6. and six. Now, obviously, one of those teams are going to lose and by next week won't be considered a quality opponent. But this is with playoff, playoff gusto on the line and, and really could be an impact on the final seed in the AFC and perhaps the NFC East race. The winner of this game has all the momentum for the final two weeks of the season in their respective playoff race. The loser might be out of it. And let's flash back to 2008 when the Cowboys had a 13-3 lead in Pittsburgh. Couldn't finish the game. Game got tied at 13. Tony Romo threw an interception. Steelers go ahead on a touchdown win 2013. The Cowboys, after starting the year 3-0, went 9-7 blew a chance at the playoffs, and really began the talk about Tony Romo not getting the job done in December. It comes full circle. Two fourth-quarter comebacks in December. If Tony Romo can find a way to get the job done against a respectable Pittsburgh Steelers pass defense. Remember, the, the Steelers still can get the job done in terms of their pass defense. They're seventh in defensive pass rating. If Tony Romo can get that job done, get the victory against Pittsburgh All of a sudden, he's earning his stripes a little bit more as a quote-unquote clutch quarterback. So for that reason, it's number four, my six-pack. Up now to number three here, six-pack of top matchups, Green Bay at Chicago. Top three rivalry right now going in, has been a top three rivalry throughout the history of the NFL in a matchup that will determine the NFC North title. No disrespect intended for the Minnesota Vikings, but let's face it, the Vikings at 7-6 and six aren't winning the division. I think the division winner is at least 11-5 and five in the NFC North, which eliminates the Vikings from divisional championship talk, but they're still in the hunt for the playoffs. Still can get the job done. A game against the Rams on Sunday 
home game against uh, the Green Bay Packers. Tough game against Houston, but who knows? Maybe the Vikings can somehow manage at least a 9-7 and seven season. But this matchup will determine the NFC North title. And Green Bay in Week 2 just destroying Jay Cutler and the Bears, 23-10. It was their best defensive performance. At the time, it was one of the most impressive victories of the season, at least through the first half of the season, considering the Bears started 7-1, 7-1 through the first half of the season. Now the Bears are 1-4 in their last five. Jay Cutler isn't 100%, and who knows, maybe somehow he doesn't start on Sunday and it's Jason Campbell instead. But here the Bears are in a position where in their last three games, they can go 1-2, and two, miss the playoffs, or they can go 3-0 and win the division. It's up to the Bears. And they were a team at the beginning of the season, I thought, that could make the Super Bowl through the first eight games. Due to a crazy amount of defensive playmaking, they were 7-1. and But I did say there would be regression in the second half of the season. And there has been regression in the second half of the season from their defense. It's now up to Jay Cutler to get the job done. Brandon Marshall, another season with over 100 receptions. He says it's his biggest game of his career. Well, time to show it. Chicago's got to get the job done. They're not getting the job done offensively. They're below. They're in the bottom half of all the key passing indicators on offense. But the defense can still get the job done. They're right up there at the top in the key defensive categories against the pass fourth. In defensive real passing yards per attempt, you look to their real defensive quarterback rating, they're number one. You look at the defensive passer rating, they're number one. Can they stop Aaron Rodgers? This is a pass defense that's the best in the league. Can you stop a top three quarterback? That matchup in itself is great. Consider the divisional implications. It's my third matchup in my six-pack. Up now to number two, the Denver Broncos in Baltimore against the Ravens. Peyton Manning's had a great track record against the Baltimore Ravens. You look at all the victories he has back to the Rex Ryan defensive years. Ryan finally beat Peyton Manning back in 2010 with the New York Jets, but didn't get it done with the Ravens. You look back to 2006 when the Ravens were 13-3 and under Brian Billick. And Peyton Manning and crew come into Baltimore, win the game in the divisional round, win the Super Bowl. Only Super Bowl under Peyton Manning with the Colts. Now you fast forward here, and this matchup could determine who's the three seed, who might be in the running for the two seed, and who might be stuck in the four seed. Okay, maybe being the fourth seed isn't the worst because you would host the Indianapolis Colts who are in the bottom eight in the quality stats power rankings and are right now completely overshooting where they actually are at as a quality team. Nine and four, they're probably right now more or less, I wouldn't say a four and nine team, but probably like a six and seven team at best. But they're finding ways to win games. They could be a team that sneaks away a playoff victory. And well, let's face it, You'd rather have a higher seed and be in the running for a top two seed and get a bye. So this game, huge playoff implications. The Baltimore Ravens switching offensive coordinators. Jim Caldwell, first time he's calling plays in the NFL. 
Remember, he coached Peyton Manning not too long ago. In fact, last year they both were Indianapolis. So here you go. Denver's at Baltimore. Baltimore reeling without Terrell Suggs, losing last week. 31-28, blowing the game late. They had a 28-20 lead. RG3 goes out the game. Kirk Cousins comes in. And what does Kirk Cousins do? Touchdown to Pierre Garçon. Runs in the two-point conversion. Puts the game in overtime. A punt return puts the Redskins in field goal position. And the Ravens, their first losing streak in 54 games. Their first losing streak since 2009. Trying to avoid their first three-game losing streak. And oh yeah, if they lose on Sunday, 9-5, and five, there's a chance for the Bengals, if they win against the Eagles Thursday night, they'd be 8-6. and six. The Steelers winning, they would be 8-6. and six. And oh, by the way, the Bengals have another game left against the Baltimore Ravens Week 16. Or I should say Week 17. I stand corrected on that. Week 17. This is a chance here for the Ravens to secure their division. This is a chance for them, especially Joe Flacco, going up against the top-ranked defense, pretty much, in the quality stats here. Top-ranked team overall in the quality stats. And if you look at the Broncos' defensive hog index, they're dominating right now, number one. Dominating. They're number one across the board right now with their defensive hogs. Can you... Find a way to get the job done against that team. They've done a great job on offense at home. Stunk on the road offensively. This is a statement game for Joe Flacco going up against Peyton Manning and crew. And oh, by the way, this past defense of the Ravens, which has been maligned as of late, despite sneaky good stats, I mean, they're not a bad team statistically. If you look at uh, Baltimore, they're 10th. In defensive pass range. So they're not bad. They're not the normal Ravens, but they're not bad. This is a chance for them to make a statement. And the Ravens right now, who are seeing their Super Bowl chances slip away, need a victory against the Denver Broncos. This win is necessary. And oh, by the way, two top 10 teams in the quality stats power rankings. The Broncos, number one. The Ravens, number nine. It's number two for my six-pack of matchups. And oh, yeah, by the way, number one. Number two in the quality status power rankings, the San Francisco 49ers at number four in the quality status power rankings, the New England Patriots. This is the top matchup. This is your game of the week, and I know we'll have uh, much more about this on Cold Hard Football Facts Television. But briefly, just to to talk about uh, this matchup here, where the 49ers stand right now, defensive pass rating, they're sixth. In the league, defensive real passing yards per attempt, number one in the league going up against that high-powered Tom Brady-led offense, and they're ninth in defensive real quarterback rating. In the defensive hog index, they are second. Can they find a way to get enough pressure against Tom Brady and get a huge road victory? The Patriots do not lose at home in December. Can they get the job done and secure the NFC West against a very dangerous Seahawks team that they have to play at on the road on Sunday Night Football next week. Colin Kaepernick in a tough position here. Coming in during the season to become the starter. 
this would be a landmark victory for him and would pretty much, I think, secure his starting position for 2013 if he can beat Tom Brady in New England. Keep that in mind as you tune in on Sunday for a fantastic weekend of football. That's all for this edition of the Stat Pack. I know it's been a lengthy one, but it's exciting. This week 15 is going to be awesome. Enjoy, everybody.